1.37 p.m. Stories of hustle and grind from the intersection of culture, style, music, and sports. All right, ladies and gentlemen, it is Wednesday, December 16th. It's about 2.30 here p.m. in San Diego, California. And wow, me oh my, I really could not overstate how excited I am right now to talk to this gentleman. He is the former WEC champion. He is the former UFC champion. But more than that, guys, you're talking about one of the most exciting fighters to ever grace the stage. Anthony Showtime Pettis, thank you so much, man, for this. Really appreciate it. Thank you, bro. Thanks for having me on. This is like a dream. I'm, I'm 23 years old. I've been following fighting since I could turn on the TV myself. I was watching the WEC days at like six, seven, eight years old. And you were one of the, <laughs> like one of the guys I, I grew up watching. I learned the sport from you and to do this is like an honor. So seriously, like you, it's another interview for you, but thank you. This is everything to me. Appreciate it, man. Thank you. You make me feel old. No, 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 no. Because you got started young. That's a big yeah, difference. Yeah, you got started young. So first of all, how much more are you enjoying fight week now that it, you're at like 170? Oh, man, it's a heaven. You know, I woke up on weight. I was uh, 172 last night. Um, so there's no weight cut involved with the, when I'm fighting at 170. Um, I get to be healthy. I get to be energetic. I get to be, um, I get to be myself. I would imagine there's still some pros to fighting at 45. You feel maybe a little lighter, a little bouncier, maybe. But ultimately, that that natural feeling has to surpass any pro that you've ever dealt with at 45 or 55, right? Yeah, I think uh, 45. I'd never do that again, man. Honestly, 45 yeah. was like a stretch, and I went I went way down and wait for that, you know. But they, it was for a title shot, and I was hungry. Yeah. I, was, I wanted to get a I wanted to be a champ again. Um, 55 is probably my natural cutting weight. You know, I, I can make 55 pretty good, pretty easy, um, but I need about eight weeks to do that. This this fight kind of came up last minute. Um, they offered it to me, uh, fight uh, at the end of the year, final card of the year. Um, 2020 has been a crazy year for everybody, so I just feel like I wanted to get in there and stay busy. So I want to let you know this. My dad is a Milwaukee guy, born and raised Milwaukee. I've Although I'm, I'm San Diego born and raised, I've been to Milwaukee 16, 17, 18 times in my nice. life. I got a love for the city. My dad went to high school at Pius. Oh, man. My little bro went to Pius. Right down the street from Rufus Sport. And uh, I was a senior in high school. I was, like, getting into sports broadcasting and I stopped by Rufus Sport just to see if I could talk to anyone. Of course, no, because that's not how this works. <laughs> but I wanted to. I knew that, like, oh, shit, the, the champs are there. And so I had to tell you, quick question here. What is the better cheat day meal? Is it Cops or is it Gillies? Cops. Cops all day. I mean, uh, Lee, have you been to Leon's? Yes, I have. So Leon's is a staple in, in, this, in the city, bro. So Leon's is probably the best cheat meal day. But cops, if you're going for burgers and stuff, yeah, cops is cops is good. How often is the uh, is the cheat day for you nowadays? Now that you're in welterweight, man, honestly, like it's crazy. Like now that I'm in the higher weight class, I don't crave food as much. You know, you're not like wow. you know, you're not trying to do these cheat meals. You're not trying to like it, it's it's like it's, it's accessible to you. So I guess you don't really want it. So uh, yeah, it's crazy how that works. But um, I've been eating way more clean these these 170 camps than I have for my 155 camps. I was actually on my way back down to 155 before this fight popped up and. Uh, no, I had an opportunity to stay busy, so I'd take it. Can I ask if there was a name involved in that 55 fight? 
Uh, no, there wasn't yet. You know, I was yeah. just getting, I was just getting down to the weight class. I, I wanted to do this this time of my career right. You know, I feel like I've been rushing a lot of stuff and uh, trying to fight the biggest names and the biggest the biggest fights. And I really haven't thought about you know what makes me healthy, what's the best decision for me, and that's what I've been doing recently. Like, let's let's take my time with this, build back up. I'm still only 33 years old in this game, you know. So I've, I've been, I grew up under these these lights. You know, I've, I've 10 years ago was the Showtime you know kick anniversary to this day, and uh, you know it's crazy to think about how long I've been in this game for, and you know how much more I have to do. You brought up the Showtime kick, and like I know you've been asked about it a million fucking times in your life, so I didn't want to ask like. You know, is this something you practiced before or anything like that? And I know you talked about it with Ariel yesterday, but if you're – and you said that it's a state of flow thing, right? That's where you hit yeah. that move, completely state of flow. But I wanted to know if you're reaching that in a fight, there me that means you must have pulled off some crazy shit during practice at one point or another. What – tease me, give me a little something – on a move you've pulled off in a fight that kind of mirrors or pulled off in a practice that mirrors what we saw in the Showtime kick. Man, honestly, all the stuff off the cage. I feel, I feel like no athlete has used the cage the way I've used it yet. Even the Wonderboy knockout, you know, yep. staying off the cage the way I did with that Superman punch. Um, I have a lot of those moves that just I haven't had the opportunity to throw them in fights yet. And maybe it's like, it is a flow thing, you know, like when you get self-conscious or you're aware of like a guy that has good wrestling, you know, you limit your abilities because of what your opponent's good at. So I'm kind of getting out of that mindset of like giving my opponent too much credit. Like Custom Amato, uh, Mike Tyson's coach, has a great saying. Everybody has a plan until they get hit in the face or like, you know, you, you, you give your opponent so much credit and ability before the fight. Then you get in there and hit him with the first punch. You're like, man, this guy's human. Um, I'm kind of going with that mindset into these into these fights now. Like. What, what am I good at? How do, how do I build off of my strengths and um, and not limit myself to my opponent's strength? I mean, makes a ton of sense. And I can really hear the sports psychology theme right now and what you're saying. I know you said that you've started to see one recently. Yeah. And I got to ask, is this something you wish, like you look back 10 years ago, like, why wasn't I doing this? million percent. I think back then, 10 years ago, you know, I was so focused on becoming a champ and like so involved in the game. I didn't have like these distractions or I didn't have like these moments that I could pick up in my head during a fight, like a RDA fight. You know, when you're faced with some adversity or breaking your hand in a fight, that didn't happen yet. So I was just invincible in there. You know, I was so in tune with my body and in myself. And then you get like, uh, you know, my, my little, I uh, lost a couple times, you know, and then you like those fights play in your head. And like in the training camps, you like no matter who you are, I don't care how confident you are, you're like, man, I can't let this punch land because this will happen, or I can't let this takedown happen because this is how this fight ends up. And then if you can have the ability to, to recognize when that happens, and before you like let your mind drift off on these like tangents of, of 20 minutes, 30 minutes, and then before you put yourself back, like, let me let me get back to what I'm good at. Um, that's how I was like recently. You know, I didn't have the ability to recognize when that was happening. Um, I, I didn't know like my mind wasn't in the present moment. And now I have the ability. Well, I have a, a tool belt now that this guy gave me. His name's Micah. He's he's from the Major League Baseball. He um, gave me uh, some tools that just make me come back to being present. You know, like if I feel myself drifting, don't get frustrated with yourself. I mean, because that's what happens. You get frustrated. Like I'm like a takedown happens, and I'm like, God damn it! Like now I got to get back up and figure this out. Because last time I lost when I got taken down, and you get your mind tracked on that that mindset. Whereas now I'm like, all right, from curiosity point, like all right, why am I thinking this? How can I address it in this current now situation and how do I get past it? And I think when you have that ability, your, your growth is crazy. And then not only in fighting, in life, man, like I, I put, I use the same skill set with my daughter, with my fiance, with my brothers, like with my business uh, associates, like it's, it's crazy once you have the ability to um, recognize your feelings and before you make a decision, you, uh, 
you can you can decide how you're react. I've always wondered this and a content creator, a filmmaker, an artist, anyone who's making a product for the public perception, right? There's an audience that decides whether or not you provide a good product. How do you balance? Oh, I'm Showtime Pettis. I know what I'm good at. I don't need to listen to the audience versus, you know what? Maybe there's some legit criticism that's out there that I need to listen to. And as a fighter, you kind of have to walk in like, yo, I'm the man. I'm this dude, like walk in invincible, as you said. How do you balance that? Or is that something you just work on throughout your whole career? I think you kind of go through stages of that. You know, I feel like you, you like I, I really stopped listening to social media. That was a huge okay. one. You know, when social media came out um, and it was hot, you know, and it was like the new thing is when I was on the Wheaties box. So like mm-hmm. I was in I was in the mix of all this. You know, I, I, I heard everybody's opinion, all these uh these these couch coaches and you know all that stuff. And you gotta you have the you gotta have the ability to and I didn't have this ability back then to recognize when you're drifting and you know these drift these drifts happen a lot as an athlete because like you know we're we're doing the same thing our body kind of goes on autopilot you know jabs a jab crosses across you do that a million times your body takes over and your mind isn't present like if a guy does a right hand i slip boom left hand comes it's just like it's just it's just facts you know it's just something that has to happen and once you allow your mind to not be present during these moments then your body takes on autopilot then you're like you're not present. You're not in there. You're not. You're not going to make the audibles. You're not going to make the, uh, the the plays that make special things happen, like the Showtime kick. Um, and I think that's where I got uh, victimized to. I was like a victim of myself being on autopilot and like, yo, I, this is how I train. I wake up. I do this miss, this run. Um, you know, even going to like the brushing your teeth in the morning and the what, what side of bed you wake up on. Like these are all routines that are like put into us, and then we, we put ourselves in these routines, and we're like, we got to do it this way. We have to do it this way, or something's not right. And then once you can pull yourself back and see what you're doing and be like, man, like maybe a couple of those things I can switch up and uh, help my game up. I, I got to that stage this year and it's like, whoa, bro. Like the, the growth, like I kind of was on a plateau on my career, like um, as far as like getting better at jujitsu, striking, um, individual martial arts. I was, I, I was like, I'm a black belt and everything. So it's like, how, how do you grow in, 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 in your career? And then when I became president in the room and I was actually listening to the person teaching, um, it's your decision. Like, hey, some of this works for my game, some of this doesn't work for my game. But at least I'm there learning and listening to it and I'm not like drifting off into like what happened two fights ago or what's going to happen next year. Want to get into the business side of things. You made a huge yep. announcement this week. Showtime Entertainment getting underway and you're going to serve as like kind of a marketing agency, correct, for younger fighters and help them make a name for themselves. Is this something you knew you would do when you were 24 years old? Did you always know, oh, I want to do more than just be a fighter. I want to be more than a champion. I want to help the next generation. Or when did you have that epiphany of, you know what, I need to leave a legacy in another way? When, when did this happen? Uh, man, honestly, when my little brother followed in my footsteps, you know, I've been guiding his career since he started, you know, like from, from getting him to the UFC to him signing over to Bellator. That was a big risk. A lot of people don't understand what happened behind that. You know, and he's in such a better spot right now financially and, you know, fighting for a title shot and he's in a great position. And I was like, man, if I would have had some more guidance in my career, man, I put my, I might've been in a different spot. Not saying I didn't get, I do have a great career. I didn't you know, get to the great spots, but yeah. I made a lot of mistakes along the way. Um, and I learned from the mistakes. And I kind of show him that, that path. And I'm like, you know, all these fighters are kind of stuck choosing between managers that aren't really in the fight game. You know, they're, they're, they're there for the money, the money side of the fight game. And, and MMA is so easy to get into. There's so many, so, so many 
managers that pop up and all over the place that don't really have the experience that that comes necessary with what what position they hold. Um, and in Milwaukee, we have you know you see it in Rufus Sport, we have a factory to make fighters, and um, some fighters are afraid to come to Milwaukee because they don't understand how inviting we are and how open doors we are. So I think this is going to be a way where we're where obviously first we did a combine, so we 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 try had fighter tryouts. We had 150 guys try out. We signed about 80 of them, um, and these guys are all over all over the spectrum skill set wise from developmental league to professionals to elite level guys that are, are right now knocking on the doors of, of Bellator, UFC, 1FC, and all these big these are organizations. Um, and then I'm putting my Showtime Fight Series together, which is a fight promotion out of Milwaukee. So I'll have a place to, to cultivate their skills, get them built up, and um, you know, we're be in control of who they fight at a younger younger stage. Um, and this is kind of how I came up. You know, I, My first fight was in a Harley-Davidson dealership in Milwaukee, Wisconsin. And then you take that to the UFC world title. It's a proven fact, a proven system of, of, of if you follow the, the, those, the rules that you make it to the top. And I'm just making it easier for them to get into it where, um, you know, we, we're going to get them jobs. We're going to get them um, uh, housing, um, everything they need as a fighter, nutrition. You know, they don't have to go find this on their own. It's all going to be in-house. So kind of a one-stop shop for fighters to, to pursue their career. Where does this rank starting something like that in your career accomplishments? Oh, man, honestly, the, uh, the the excitement that we have going behind this and the um, passion I have for this sport, um, it's right up there. You know, like I think my fighting career isn't over, so I'm, I'm definitely still focused on that. I have a great team behind me that's going to like put my vision on paper and put it in play. Um, I have the coaching staff in Milwaukee. I have the gyms to put these fighters in. So like all the pieces of the puzzle have been there, um, and I, I have the business sense to make these guys – understand like this this is a small window of opportunity and like you what you do with your money during that time really matters like you get you have to know how to set up your own llc you have to know how to pay yourself a salary you have to understand balancing and 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 deciding what what percent goes where and because that all matters when it comes down to the bottom line and uh you know all that knowledge i have it kind of just goes up there right with it it's just just like an accumulation of knowledge that i had over the 12 years with ufc that um you know i'm giving other fighters from jump from when they started their career with and i this is i I'm, i'm hoping i can convey this question in a way that makes sense your nickname is showtime you have one of the most famous kicks with the Showtime kick. You have the Wonder Boy knockout off the cage. You're known for being this electric, show-stopping fighter, right? You do things beyond the ordinary. I wonder, like, did you ever feel pressure to not only win, but to be the sh- like the show of the night? Did you always feel that, um, you know what, winning won't be enough tonight? If I win a, a three-round decision, it's not going to cut it. I have to do more. And do you think it ever costs you a fight because you were like, oh man, I, I got to put on a show that like, that's what they're expecting. Million percent. I think, um, you know, that, that great question. I mean, um, yeah, that happens a lot in my career actually, you know, um, from taking fights on short notice because I'm like, yo, I got to save the show and I got to be the, the, the guy in attraction to fighting, you know, my title fights really back to back quick. And I fought Gilbert Melendez in December. I signed to fight RDA in March and I, I should have took my time, decompressed and then got myself ready for, for the next fight instead of like, yo, the fans want to see me. Welcome. Like the whole, that whole bro- broadcast during that time was welcome to the show. Cause you know, it was, it was showtime. Um, and I think, uh, you know, that's, that's one thing I, I realized at this point in my career, going back and looking at everything is like, I need to take care of myself first. You know, I got to make sure I'm, I'm, I'm in the right mindset to take these fights. You know, it's not, it can't be like, all right, it's for somebody else. It's for this reason. Um, and then you go into the fights, you know, Tony Ferguson fight, a great example. You know, I, I, I had, I had a great 
performance, hit him with a big punch, and I'm throwing cartwheel kicks and like stuff. Where I I should have like calmed it down, got a little more basic, and looked for the finish. And I mean, I'm it's great, it's, it's amazing that I get to see that right now, and I still get to like put that to use because some fighters don't get to go back and look at their career until it's over, and then they go look because when you're in the trenches. Like, you're on to the next one, on to the next one, on to the next one. But having this moment this year, like a slower year, I got to look back at my whole career, and I had to do it with a mindset of, like, curiosity and not judgment. You know, I'm not judging myself on my performances. I'm, like, not judging my mistakes. I'm like, oh, why did I do that? How can I fix it? And moving forward, what steps am I going to take to make sure that doesn't happen again? So you mentioned the Tony Ferguson fight, and it, it, that's a good kind of, like, segue for me here. I assume you have a fight that you look back on and you're like, God, I should have just had that one. Like, what was I doing? But at the same time, if you have that feeling, that means there's another fight that you're like, oh, I got away with one there. Like, you know what? I don't know if I I got a little lucky. What are those two examples? Man, uh, the Wonder Boy fight, I would say would be the um, one that the, the knockout happened quicker than I expected. I thought I was going to have to go through another like round of pain because it was a five-round fight. Yeah. Um, and I, my game plan was slowly to cook him because like, Wonder Boy is one of the guys that just – his range and he's so long and big. Like um, It was just an awkward fight for me to fight, a style of fight. But we had a great game plan going in there, but I expected it to go – three or four rounds and I didn't expect that knockout to happen so quick and he broke my nose in the first so I had adversity right away so I'm like yo this is obviously it's pain pain coming my way I know my game plan is but it's hard to chop away at those legs when your face is getting busted up so I'd say Wonder Boy was one of those fights where I got that knockout was like man that's thank yeah. god <laughs> thank god that happened when it did um and the fight that got away was tony man that tony fight you know even though he's going through some hard times right now two losses in a row i mean he's a gangster when it comes to fighting bro like he's he's one of the best you know it happens and I, it's so quick to see the um the crowd turn on somebody you know he was like the man it was like oh he's the best in the world all of a sudden he loses twice and all oh, he's tony's overrated and he's like on his way out which is crazy to see because this guy is so talented so hopefully he's, he doesn't listen to that that part of of, of the critics and look at the company yeah and that's crazy that's the crazy thing you know like myself you know i i fight the best in the world and they're like yo pettis is 50 50 or he loses wins loses wins i'm like yeah that's what happens when you're fighting the best in the world if you're not 100 percent. so uh yeah you know it's 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 freeing to see it from this lens now like before i would let them them opinions like get into cut deep and then like take my mind off of my current objective but now like i have the ability to separate that and like yo what's what's the best thing for me to be doing at this current moment and how to bring myself back to that time you fought at three different weight classes. You've done it for, you know, 10 years. What's the answer to the weight cut issue in MMA? Because there's always a, there's someone offers a solution. And then the next week we have another issue where someone fails to make weight. And I'm not blaming the fighter. You could be going through an injury. You could have a dietary issue that no one knows about. So I'm not um, saying it's exclusively on the fighter, but it just feels like too easy of a solution or too easy of a problem to keep dealing with this. What do you think the answer is? Man, it's hard because you've got these guys that come in from, you know, like let's say I fight at 170. They're coming in at 205 pounds, like yeah. walk around weight. They're cutting 30 pounds to get down. And then you got a guy like me that like walks around at 175 pounds. Like I'm fighting at 170. So it's like, do I want to cut more weight and have an advantage in fight night? Or do I want to fight at my natural weight and feel good on fight night? And that's like the, the million dollar question. You know? and, and, and some guys have great results when they cut a lot of weight and they rehydrate and they, they use their size on, on in the octagon because that's definitely an advantage. When you got 30 pounds on somebody, it's easier to hold them down than when you're the same weight class as somebody. Um, but I think 1FC has a great 
game plan for this. You know, they don't let their guys get dehydrated, which should be a golden rule. Like, if a guy's dehydrated, he's cutting weight wrong. You know, he's, he's doing uh, uh, something to hurt his body. And I've done that before. You know, like, before uh, USADA, we were allowed to get IVs after a weight cut. So, like, we would cut 15 pounds the night before. IV back up and you know we're, we're back to normal weight class but now there's no there's no there's no IVs involved so like, you got to be smart about these weight weight cuts these weight approaches there's good companies out there like um, the guy I'm working with now Eric Pena has a, a great uh, system for uh, rehydration and getting you like to the right weight without dehydrating yourself but if the organization doesn't change the rules fighters are going to find a way to to keep biting at that that mark of like how big can I get between camps and, and make it down I got you for one more minute can I I got two questions so if that's all right. Um, yeah. The first one I'm going to say is I know you've mentioned the sobriety heading into this fight being kind of a big difference probably yeah. from what you're used to. If we don't mind, though, can we turn back the clock? I want to know what the best post-fight after party has been for you. There's got to be one that just stands out and you're like, oh, man, that thing was like lit up. And uh, after I beat Gilbert Melendez here in Vegas, um, it was my first title defense. I was at uh, Mandalay Bay. It was when uh, the light light nightclub was like just just opening up. Um, I walk in, they have like all my fights playing on the TVs, like a big entrance arena. It's like, the champ is here. And I walk in, I got the belt on, bottles of champagne. It was, I felt like the man, but I was like, it's a movie scene. You know, everybody's like, all my friends are there, pictures getting taken. Um, you know, and that, and the crazy thing is like, that doesn't have to stop just because like, you're, you're not drinking, you're not drinking or smoking. Like that's like the, 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 uh, the, the, the thing I talked about drinking and smoking was like not being present. And that's what that does for me. Like you can still have a celebration drink and not like get caught on that spiral. Cause like as fighters, we're in training camp or we're not in training camp and we're not in training camp. Our lifestyle is way different than when we are in training camp. And that's what I'm recognizing. Like the ability for me, like going golden cold Turkey was the best thing I could do because now I actually can look at it from the lens of being so over and like man i was i was doing these roller coaster rides with my life and like i would i would be either drinking for depression or drinking because i'm celebrating but both senses are not the right way you know it's like you're not present in the moments i'm not building my career up and at this stage of my career i just want to be doing everything that's gonna help me get better beautiful so i'm gonna combine my last question because i i was gonna do a question about the the couch coaches which drives me crazy because one i love i love podcasting about the fight game right i love it but i'm not a fighter man like what am i going to do to criticize or say like yo pettis i don't know what he's doing in there he should be doing this who am i to say i'm not the one getting punched in the face so i'm going to combine the two questions a little bit it's a little bit about couch coaches a little bit about journalists as a guy who's at the beginning of his own career trying to get into you know the mma boxing fight game business so is there a pet peeve of yours from journalists that I can avoid? You know what I mean? Just so I can yeah. have the respect of fighters. I don't, I don't want to like, I want it to be a, a good relationship. Honestly, this, this interview is probably one of the better interviews I've had with, uh, you know, and not only because we're on this, but like your questions are out of the box. Like most, most fight reporters have the same questions. How do you feel? Are you ready for the fight? Um, how was the weight cut? Like that, that, them three questions right there is like nonstop, repeating, repeating, repeating. Like getting more in depth and like understanding like the psyche of fighting or like obviously picking like a specific, you know, something you want to talk about. Like you did, bro. Like that, that was like, it was, it was good. Like we got in depth about like the mindset stuff. We talked about the business side. Like it was a, a huge, uh, a, a broad uh, 
example of like an interview, but like some some journalists are like same three questions and then they're like so bland on their response. Like they're just like, uh, how how was your preparation? They don't say anything else, and it's like how do you even like how do you even get back and forth in that? So it's <laughs> it's good to have like some chemistry with somebody. Sure, showtime. God bless you, brother. I took you for two minutes longer than I said I would, so I greatly appreciate the entirety of this time. Just the best of luck this weekend. I have no doubt you'll put on an epic show. I really, really hope we could do this again whenever it may be because uh, you're, you're one of the best, man. Really, really appreciate, appreciate it, bro. Thank you, man. Thanks for the time. Yep. Good luck this week, champ. Later. This is 1.37 p.m. Own your future. Start this minute. 1.37 p.m. is a Gallery Media Group original production.